Welcome back to another episode of the podcast, From the Depths of Darkness to the Light of Success. I am your host, Chris Swick. You know, this podcast is just about sharing everyone's story. I believe everyone's story is valuable. It does not matter what walk of life you come from, where you are at today. As long as you share your story with vulnerability and stuff like that, that's what counts and getting your story out there and sharing your feelings and everything i love to talk anything from mental health addictions whatever's bothering you or on your mind today that's what i'm all about but with no further ado i'd like to introduce to you guys this author david giffen from the toronto area of ontario canada if you want to take it away and let them know a little bit about yourself david chris it's great to be here uh thank you for the invitation man just before i I talk about me. I, I just I wanted to say what I was saying to you just a minute ago before we started that I love what you're doing. I putting your authentic self out, out there to be an inspiration to other people. I'm a big fan. I think you're doing great things. Thank you very much, um, and I appreciate that. So, yeah, my name's David Giffen. I'm a author, coach, speaker. I, I spent a, a decade as parish priest from 25 to, to 35 in my life and fractured my ankle in three places. I was saving widows and orphans. No, I wasn't saving widows and orphans. I was, I was walking to work and I slipped on black ice. And you don't realize how physical trauma can change things for you. And after an addiction to oxycodone and a bit of a public meltdown, I found myself having some pretty serious uh, mental health struggles that had to do uh, with with trauma that had been triggered from early in life. And PTSD is something that I really had thought was a, a soldier thing, right? Like it was uh, a military thing. People who'd really experienced the worst of the worst. And you realize that's not exactly how mental health works, that the brain is a very complicated thing. And depending on what your experiences have been in life, you will be, you will be resourced or not resourced um, to be able to handle what's right in front of you. And I learned that I needed to do quite a bit of work to be able to handle what was going on in my brain. So in the last couple of years, I have taken the time that I had as a priest who spent a lot of time uh, with people, preparing people for weddings and funerals, back baptisms, as well as my own uh, mental health struggles through what happened. And I'm trying to build a, build a career as an advocate and a speaker and a coach to those who hopefully don't have to fall quite, quite as hard as I did in the midst of what, everything that happened. What was it that sort of led you to that PTSD that creeped up on you and stuff like that? What was those, the earlier childhood trauma or earlier child or earlier trauma in life? So... I grew up in a, in an immigrant family with an 18 year old mother, dad who, who worked very hard, but wasn't home that much. And in a very religious environment where it was a struggle, right? As a kid where you don't have enough people around you to talk about what's going on because you're isolated from the kind of family that you would have known if you'd grown up in your country of origin. Like I looked at a lot of my friends who had grandparents and aunts and uncles and all these different people to trust and talk through their issues with. And when you don't have those people in your life, when you don't get get those opportunities to talk out the hard stuff, it just creeps up. And what I hadn't realized, and after some really wonderful therapy, which I think I think everybody should be in therapy. I tell you, I think regardless of what's happening for you, you should all, everybody should take a little time and go to therapy. But after some good time in therapy, what I realized was the environment I was living in and the details of which I'll keep, not every, not everything needs to be said, but the, the environment I was living in was keep, as a kid had me sleeping only four or five hours sleep a night. And I didn't know how abnormal that was. I really didn't, right? Like I thought, I genuinely thought that, that 
everybody's got stuff, right? And everybody does have stuff, but I didn't know that kids needed a certain amount of sleep to, to not live in a fear-driven, anxiety-driven life. And it's that maturity that you get to in your midlife, hopefully, where you can look back and see that inner child, that, that, that part of you that is still 16 or 12 or six and have compassion and empathy for that part of you and be able to integrate it, to be able to see that and, and recognize that wasn't okay, but I'm okay now. No, that's amazing that you recognize that and you've peeled back those layers going through therapy myself and I'm really enjoying it though. Like after getting into recovery, like it's not just about staying clean and sober to me. You got to dig deep and stuff like that. And it's a work in progress. It's one day at a time. Life's not a destination. It's a journey. Isn't it? Yeah. No, I, I it, it's listening to a song and working out earlier. And then that was one of the lines in one of his hip hop songs. He says, life's not a destination. It's a journey. I was just talking to a friend earlier about how when I need to work stuff out, hip hop's where actually where I find inspiration because so much of hip hop is written out of the brokenness of, of humanity. Like it, it really is, right? Like it's breaking open the hard stuff and having a long, hard look at it. And yeah, so me too. Like when I, when I'm looking, when I'm in the gym or when I'm looking to, to get a little inspiration for writing, that's where I go. I have so many awesome guys I listen to and stuff like that. There's so many guys that are in recovery that are hip hop artists that are amazing artists now. I don't know if you've heard of a name. He's out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He's been in recovery for quite some time, but Kalichi is his name. So all of them, oh, look, cool. Yeah, no, it's all about recovery and stuff like that. That's all is, so everything is about, is just about recovery. I, it's amazing. And think about the number of people that's going to touch and connect because we're living in a time now, hopefully post pandemic at some point, but mental health struggles are on the rise with the level of isolation and disconnection people just unprepared economic circumstance as well yeah it's we're, we're gonna need a lot of help as a as a culture and as a society no most definitely like i'm seeing the rise in the younger generation like not saying my kids but there's so many things going on there there's stuff that's not out there like we need more help with mental health advocacy and just more funding there's so much stuff that there isn't help out there like a lot of it and they go to no, the I, I, and and all they want to do i don't believe in medications like there's there certain ones that i've had to take and a couple yeah. of months still on but i'm not a huge believer in medications like you said earlier i think therapy everyone could use some therapy and it will help you i find yeah and i think it's it could be a combination for different people depending on what it is that you're struggling with. Like I think different people needed different kinds of treatment. I think everybody, and I don't just mean, and I don't just mean people who've identified a mental health issue. I, I think that we could all use therapy as, and, and there's, 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 there's therapy and there's just counseling, right? Like along peer support, alongside our support. I look at some of the work that the Canadian Mental Health Association is doing, and they're hiring a lot of new people to work with them in things like peer support, where there, there's a realization that there's a loneliness for people who are still in active addiction, because a lot of the time, for whether they've caused a situation themselves or whether they have just been mistreated, they find themselves alone and, and nobody wants to touch. Them. And th therapies, it can be expensive. Therapy can, you might only be able to get an hour a week, but trying to find peer support and I think there are organizations that are, are starting to, to lift this idea up. CMHA is one of them. And I don't know about you, but I think that, that could be a, a real uh, magic bullet for a lot of people to know that there are someone outside your own circle who cares for you, but isn't your brother or your sister or your, or, or your kid, but someone who can be there with you and walk alongside you when it's still dark. 
No, and, and that's totally true. I reach out to many people, like not just my partner, like, or my family or my parents, brother, like you said, there's, I've connected with so many people through this podcast alone. And I'm so grateful for the friendships that I've made. Maybe we have never met in person yet, but I hope to someday. Yeah, me too. I, I, I've been able to just connect on so many different levels with people, bounce ideas off people. Hey, I, like for instance, a former guest, we've become good friends. Hopefully someday I can get down to Nashville to see Nick Johnson, but we can, we call each other all the time, check in, we have FaceTime calls and it, it's just good. And he can bounce ideas off me or I can bounce things off him that are bothering me and stuff. I went, I talked in my book a little bit about Yeah, what going is the name to... of your book before we go there? It's Redemptive Trauma, uh, Confession of a Defrocked Priest. And in it, I talk about, again, a couple of different chapters. I talk about my time in Nashville, which was at a treatment center there called Onsite. Incredible place, Onsite Workshops. And while I was there, I met people from all over the place, all over America, a couple from Canada as well. And I'm still in touch with a whole bunch of, they are like, you spend a couple of weeks, it was two and a half weeks, three weeks for me. And you spend this time with this group of people and you share things with them that you wouldn't even share with your closest friends back home. Like you, like when you're in that environment, you're, you go there to really dig in and look at the hard stuff. And I'll tell you, some of my first phone calls still are to people that I, I spent time with there. And when you've had a chance to be, to really connect with someone and to be vulnerable and to learn what I talk about in, again, in my book called, it's, it's the, the Greek word phile, which means brotherly love um, or friendship or that kind of vulnerable exchange of love that isn't about romance. It's not about family but it's about the bond between two people. I think that right there, connection is the answer to addiction and mental health. I really do. I think it's the isolation, the loneliness that's killing people, the shame. No, and there is so much shame around there. Like I see so much of it on social media. I don't try to get caught up on in it and stuff. Like there is no point in me commenting, but if I see something when I'm walking around and people, sh I don't like when people shame, oh, he's a junkie or he's a crack, yeah. you know what I mean? Because people can turn their life around like myself and I'm no perfect angel by any means, but if you put the hard work in and the work in, if you really want it, you can go get it. And I've changed my life. I've done a complete 180 and I'm on the right path now. Like I said, I'm working through my trauma, my past childhood, you know, and just cause for so many years I would shove all this stuff down that it all would come out in rage and anger and stuff like that. But now that's what I'm working on to not come out like that. I'm working on how to be empathetic and yeah. caring and compassionate and stuff like that. Cause I didn't know how to do that. All I worried about when I was in active addiction was getting the next high or that next fix and stuff like that. And I didn't care what I did and what I destroyed along the way either, man. But now that's not me, you know? Yeah, I've been there. I've been there. I'll tell you, man, I've been there and you know, let me say something to you though. And this is something I think it's important for people to say to each other is that even if you were not a, a complete 180, even if you'd only made the 90 degree turn, even if you were only in the first five degrees, I would walk. I think we, we too often we, we want everyone to have made the whole, the, to have gotten everything done before we're ready. To, and I, I like, and yeah, it's not easy I, though, when you make that, you know, transition, it's been a work in progress and it still is. Oh man. No, but that's good. It's stuff, man. It's really cool. So what would you want? What do you want more of in your life, David? Oh, what do I want more of in my life right now? 
oh, I want more opportunities to make a difference. I really, when I was serving as a pastor, I got to work in shelters. I got to work with lots of different people who had seen marginalization. I got to work with families who were raising children and burying beloved family members after they died. I really loved getting to make a difference in their lives. Just even the small differences here. That's what I loved about being a pastor. And so what do I want more in my life today? It's opportunities to make a difference. And I get to do that with my wonderful seven-year-old son, Rory. And I'll tell you, if I need something more in my life, more, more of in my life, I need more Rory in my life. Because every minute I spend with that boy, uh, oh man, does it change me. I learned so much from that kid. Yeah, it's it's amazing what kids can teach you. Even like I got a daughter who's six and a 13-year-old. I've seen it, yeah. And it's amazing what they can do. Like they can turn your day. If you're having a bad day, sometimes they can just turn it right around. You know what I mean? Because they're just such innocent little people. And yeah. all you do is want the best for them and stuff like that. So I'm trying to, well, that's all I want is the best for her and stuff like that. So I'm trying to change my actions because... If she sees what I'm doing, that's bad. They they think it's okay to do. That's why I'm trying to change my actions and the way I am around them and stuff like that. One thing I'm going, that's another reason I'm going to therapy, just to be a better human being. If, if there's any good reason to motivate her, I've heard you say before that you got to do it for yourself, but right? you have to do it for yourself. But if there's any other, if there's a secondary good reason, our kids are a good, are a good reason, right? Because, well... Children need their parents. They need their parents. They need their parents healthy and with capacity to love and, and to be there for them. And, and the best, the silver lining of it all, the best part of it all is that, that they teach us, it, right? Like we, the, the number of times that the, the bits of wisdom come out of that child's mouth that I, I never would have imagined. And it's like, okay, I, I got to take a deep breath right now because uh, I don't even know what to do with it. I get the same thing sometimes. Like I didn't, or I don't know what to say either when some of the things that come out of my six-year-old especially. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They humble us. They humble us as they should. And they No, most definitely, for sure. So take us back. What were some of your, you said you had got addicted to Oxycontin and stuff like that because of your ankle injury. Yeah. Where did you find yourself at your rock bottom and what was that like? I've, I've been asked that before, right? Like I've, I've had uh, a number of times in my life where I felt like I bottomed it. Like where you, you, I've been fortunate and some of that for me is I have white skin and I came from a, a family who had some money when I was younger. So like when you, you bounce a little, you bounce a little more than others, right? That's just the truth, right? I was, I've, I lived a fairly privileged life. I, I had other opportunities to get up again. I talk in the book, it, it, I'm not going to give it all away because I want people to buy the book, but oh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble chapters, go online. It's not in it. Like you won't find it in every bookstore, but if you, if you go online, it's, there's lots of availability to get it. But I talk a little bit about when I was 19 and, and struggling with a real alcohol addiction where I was using it as self-medicating because I couldn't handle the reality that I was living in. So it was, it was easy to abuse different substances as a way to, to take away the pain. And when you start doing that, you lose control, you lose perspective, and eventually you, you could lose your life if you're not careful. Yeah. And I've, I've been there too, like so many times and on the brink of death basically, but I'm grateful for whatever's up there that watches over me. There's a higher power somewhere. I believe that no, yeah. me, me too. <laughs> me too, man. I'll tell you, I, I wrote a, there's a line in the book and it was out of a blog that I wrote where for me, I, I think when you stand, when, when everything's good, when everything's good, you don't need that higher power the, the same way. You know what I mean? You don't need God. You don't need, you don't need somebody to, 
Because I think for a lot of us, we don't realize how much we need until you really need, right? Like until you're flat on your back in the darkness and, and no one's there anymore. Right? Like that, that, and for some who have, who have experienced that, they realize at that point something that they may not have had to experience in other times, which for me and, and for people of faith all over the world, it's that God's present in those times, maybe more so than in all the other times. Most definitely. Like I, I get up every day and I just say a quick little prayer, you know, to whoever's watching over me out there and stuff like that. And I'll just let's get me through this day sort of thing. It's every day. I'm grateful to lay my head down clean and sober every night now and grateful to wake up clean and sober and be able to have a roof over my head and stuff like that, where others aren't that, that they don't have the same privileges I do or whatever. And I feel for those people though, too. So like when I'm walking down the street and I see someone struggling or whatever, I'll just say, it's nice just to say, Hey, how's it going? Or how's your day going? People love to see that. You might even get a smile out of them. It's my favorite thing about going, Rory and I live in a pretty urban center. We're young in Eglinton in Toronto. Everything's in lockdown right now. So everything's closed, closed. But when we're walking down the street, there are lots of people of lots of walks of life in my neighborhood. And Rory's the kind of kid that he has to introduce himself to everybody. He, lo he loves meeting new people. And you realize watching from his innocent eyes that he doesn't want to make the kinds of distinctions that, that we've made. Person who has a home, person who doesn't have a home, uh, person who didn't get to eat dinner last night, person who did get to eat. He doesn't, what he sees is humanity because he's a little boy. And I try to take my cues from him sometimes because like he, he will, he doesn't have any money to give somebody who's asking for help, but he's got a hell of a smile. Like he's got a hell of a smile and a hell of a, a little charm. And he goes and he yeah, introduce himself and ask a few questions. I think having worked in the, the shelter system at different times in my life, what gets missed isn't, you know, that the handout of five, 10, 20 bucks to somebody in that situation, it's giving it, it it's offering dignity. Right? That's a human being who, for whatever reason, and we're all just a few steps away. I don't think most people realize how few steps we are uh, away from a situation like that. What if something's happened in their life that's led them to be there and offering them some kind of dignity is, and that could be through food, through money, but most importantly, through care and compassion. Yeah, I think, I think we could all learn from that little boy of mine. No, most definitely. We could all learn from your little boy. Everyone can learn from their kids. It's great to see what they do. Like my daughter's saying, well, she'll introduce herself or talk to everyone. I try to, well, hopefully she doesn't do that while she's by herself or whatever sometimes, but I, I got to teach her the rights and wrongs there and stuff like yeah. that. But you know, she's pretty good about it, yeah. but sometimes they're very, I don't know the right word, naive sometimes though. <laughs> oh, incredibly. It's the innocence. And I, that's why we're there to protect, right? That's what we, we've learned, right? Like we let. It's that mutual and it's that mutual learning we're doing. I think that's what parenthood's really about is that, that they're teaching us and we're teaching them. And we got to make sure they don't, that, that they don't step off, step off the street into traffic, but we got to, that innocence that they have and the way they see the world is different than the way we see the world. Because we probably, as much as we try, there are parts of us that are probably skeptical and sin we're cynics and they're not yet, I hope. No, exactly there, David, for sure. So where can people find you on, you know, the social medias or platforms and stuff, if they want to come follow you and check out your story and your life. 
So uh, GIF on the way, G-I-F-F-O-N-T-H-E-W-A-Y is my handle for, for Instagram and Twitter and, uh, and Facebook and that www.403lc.com, 403 Leadership Collective is, is at my small business that uh, is taken off around coaching and speaking and that. And I've got a group of featured leaders that I've connected with over time. And we're trying to, we're trying to, uh, to offer new opportunities for advocacy and coaching and that in the, in the wider community. So you check us out there. And is that based around like mental health and addictions, mostly the 403 LC? It's, it's across the board, right? Like we've got one of my featured leaders is a divorce and self-love coach, right? It's uh, for, for women. If you, it's a hard time. It's for a lot of women com- coming out of a divorce situation and she had been through it. And so she's created a business around offering peer support essentially to, to people who are going through that. So there's, uh, there's uh, we have a number of different people offered and they all have connections we all, but the truth is we all have connections to, to, to mental health in different ways. Yeah. It, there's definitely, it's definitely rooted in that because I'm leading it and that's where I'm rooted. <laughs> well, that's amazing to see that you're doing these things and stuff. And it's mostly online right now, I presume. Yeah. I launched it just before the pandemic, what my idea for it would change for a lot of us, right? Like when the pandemic hit, you either saw it as an opportunity or you got, or you just, it destroyed you. And so I've tried to shift most of my business because that's, that is the, the current needs zoom and things like that have made it so much easier. And I think the new technologies are, are developing every day. I got a Facebook portal recently. I don't know if you've seen this thing, but it's on my TV in my living room and the camera will pan and zoom with me based on my movement. I've heard um, portal things. Oh man, it's cool. It is cool. And I think it's, it, it, we don't want to, I think the hope for everyone is we get back to a more in-person world, right? Like we're not going back to the world we were in before. That's just, I think that's the truth. I think things are going to be a little different on the other side of this. And we've, cause most, a lot of people have moved their businesses online. And so finding new ways to make that uh, more connective, I think is a good thing. No, for sure. Technology's definitely taken off and most podcasts are, they're not really in person anymore or whatever. And stuff no, like that. they're not. For the select few, like you got the Joe Rogans and those types of things, but that's on a different level than I am. It, it is what it is, and, and I, but I thoroughly enjoy it. It's just nice to connect whatever way you can and stuff like that. And technology's really given us hope again. It has, yeah. No, for you know, but you, you look at the late night hosts, like Colbert hasn't had a guest on in a year, right? Like in person, right? Like it's everybody's having to shift the way we do things, and I think we're going to still see lots of this, even when things start to get back to normal. Most definitely. There's so many places, like I have lots of friends that work from home and they're working from home for the foreseeable future. Lots of places are just shutting down their full-size office buildings. There's no need for them. Everyone can work from home now and do it all from home. So it's crazy. Yeah, it is wild. So if you were going to speak to a group of, you know, teenagers, graduating teenagers or college students, what would be the topic you would speak to them about? If I was going to speak to a group of graduating high school students, what would the topic be? I would probably want to talk, I'd want to talk about male vulnerability and consent and the need, the need to have compassion and empathy to be able to be an adult in this world. All those things are connected to mental health and wellness, but they're specific to that age group because I look at the world that we're in now. And if we're going to ask young people, if we're going to ask them to live into the world we've created for them, then we have to give them all the resources and all the truth and all the information about the world they live in. And it's a complicated world. And I think they, I think young people need to, to be 
well-resourced with vocabulary and with an understanding of brain, of interpersonal dynamics, of community and, and their responsibility to one another. The old adage, like I am my brother's keeper. That's what I would want young people coming out of high school, coming into the adult world to be well-equipped with. For sure. Why male vulnerability specifically? Because I think it's, this is the topic that I'm, I've honed in on. I heard while I served as a priest, I prepared a hundred couples to get married. I heard the confessions of uh, thousands of people over, over the decade. And if I were to name, um, if I were to name that the thing I would want to focus on most to make a better world, it would be encouraging men to talk about their feelings, their stories, their broken, because I, I think that's a, that, that's at the core of a lot of what's wrong with the world. It's mostly run by men. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with you at all for hundred percent. Like I find lots of my male friends, you know, not calling anyone out in general, just even myself, like I have a hard time talking about my feelings. It's hard to talk about your feelings when you get down to it, like even at home with your relationships and stuff like that. Yes. I find it. Well, we were hardwired that way. That's it's surface talk. You don't get down into the deep rooted things. It's all surface talk. I found especially with lots of my male friends. We don't talk about our feelings really. Because we, we were told to suck it up and dig in. At least I was. I don't know about you. Like, but that's the, that's the culture, right? Is that if you're a young man, you suck it up and dig in. You don't talk about that. And I think we did, I think our, we've done real damage with that, with that way of being. And I, I think we're learning that as we hear real stories from women and we hear real stories about a lot of different things that, that maybe we, we, we didn't care to ask enough questions before. But now that we are, we have to, if we're going to ask the questions and we're going to hear hard answers, then we have to be committed to change. hundred percent. We have to be committed to change. And, and that's part of the therapy I'm going through too. I might not like what's coming out or what I was being told, yeah. but I have to take the advice because, and use it. You know what I mean? Like, it's like reading a book too. Like you can read the book, but if you're not going to use the knowledge or the education that's been provided to you in that book, there's no point in reading the book. <laughs> it's fair point, right? Yeah. So can you define love to me in five words, David? I have a whole chapter on it uh, in Redemptive Trauma. And no, I can't. That's the, no, I, I, because I think that in the English language, we have reduced love to a word that means the same thing when I talk about my son or the pizza that I, you know, really enjoy on Friday night. In the book, I talk about there are four different types of love. And so no, not in five words, not in five words, I can't. No. Okay. What are your three goals this year? Do you have three goals and how are you going about achieving them? Oh, I don't know if I, I so I've gotten to the point in my life where I try very much to live in the moment. I set goals for my day more than I set goals for a year at this point. I had a lot of transition after about three years ago, my Rory's mom and I split, I left my life as a priest and so things transitioned and changed for me at a pretty rapid pace and continued to, I get it, which often happens when you're, you're trying, when life goes sideways and you're trying to figure out where you go. So for me at this point, I'm staying in the moment, right? Where my goals are, you know, my goals this morning were to spend a little time with my friend, Chris, to, I'm going to do a wedding at noon today for a, a couple who said to cancel their ceremony. Uh, a few times and later I have a coaching call and I find if I focus on the goals for the, the overarching goals that I have for myself, 
they start to come true rather than focusing on, on the three big goals that I might have for this year. That's just for me though. That's where I am right now. No, and that's fair points for sure. And I'm a true believer in like you were saying there, the goals for the day, but manifesting your goals too and stuff like that, yeah. writing down things and bring them to life. It might take a while, but if you write down your goals or dreams and stuff like that, manifestation, I, I believe in it. It gets you through your day too. You know what I mean? Like even little small accomplished goals. Like I, I try to write down things and, or at least keep the same regiment every day. You know what I mean? With the gyms being open and stuff now again, it, it's nice that I get to, I found it hard working out at home. So getting up early, I have that, but I get up, we get up early as a couple and we go to the gym together and it, it's nice to do that though. And it's felt great the last few days, man. It's just, it's a whole different, my mindset's a lot different lifting those weights and pushing myself in the gym and stuff like that. <laughs> Good man. Good man. Yeah. Who's someone you'd like to trade places with for one day? Oh man. Who is someone I'd like to trade places? I would like to trade places with Barack Obama. I like that. Why is that? So Barack Obama, I read, uh, his book, the audacity of hope. Oh God. It's 15, 16 years ago. It was right before his speech at the democratic national convention, whenever that was, maybe it was 2004. I can't remember. And I've never been so inspired in my whole life. I, I, I like, I went around telling everybody that this guy's going to be president. I really did. I like, and there are people who will tell you this is true. I really, like, I, and I felt like I, I didn't always agree with everything that he did as president, but I always thought the guy worked really hard to bring a lot of different types of people to the table. Like I, I thought he was someone who really tried to listen and he's somebody who a lot of really interesting and important people talk to and listen to. So if I could be in his shoes for a day, I'd probably get in his shoes and I'd pick up the phone. I'd call the Pope. I'd call uh, Desmond Tutu because they'd all take my call. So being in Barack Obama's shoes for a day. Yeah, I would, uh, I would love that. No, that whole, him and his wife are just inspiring people. I have my, my, my girl, my mom gave us the book at home, her, Michelle's new book too. That, that I haven't oh, read. Becoming. It's yeah. good. You should read it. It's very good. No, and I'm working through a couple others. I got about five on the go. I think that's enough for now. I'll, I'll send you one of mine and you can, uh, you can put it on the stack. No, I would <laughs> love that. I've had other guests that have sent me their books and stuff too. I will. Have to get into too. I, I, I enjoy reading. Like that's gets me through lots. I try to do more and more of it. at least a half hour every morning or in the evening before bed or something. It's always good for the brain. Very cool. Yeah. What book have you read multiple times, if any, your own? Uh, yeah, you have to. I can tell you the books that I have read the most in my life are The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings by Gerald Tolkien. Very huge fan, I, I presume. Oh my Lord. I, I, yeah, I think everybody needs to go into Middle Earth and live there for a while. I think, I think there's so much wisdom in that world that he created. And yeah, like I, I opened my book with a Tolkien quote and I closed the book with a Tolkien because I think the guy wrote in the mid 20th century when the world was just coming apart at the seams. I think most people living in the middle of the 20th century didn't know if there would be a world by the end of their lives. That's the way, like the world was at war. And he created this universe of Middle Earth where like the simplest and smallest creatures, the hobbits, are the only ones who can be trusted with the ring of power that has to be destroyed in the fires of Mount Doom. I don't know. That's not how we think about the world. We don't, we don't entrust stuff to the little people. Well, we don't. We're like, it's, and everyone out, Gandalf, who's like the, the, the powerful wizard, 
he realizes that he can't be trusted with it. It's what he would do with it, with all that power. Yeah, I, I go back to Tolkien again and again. I learned so much there. No, I, I've actually never, I've never been a, not that I'm not a huge fan. It just never interests me, but maybe I'll have to pick it up one day. You should, man. It's good. It's a cool world. <laughs> I bet. It might take me back to some trips I had on some hallucinogenics, maybe. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair, fair enough. If you watch the movies, that's true. true. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So on a day-to-day basis, what do you do for yourself? What are three things you do for yourself to keep your mental health and mental well-being in check? Meditate, prayer, like the, I would put those in, and it's almost a synonymous way. For me, meditation is prayer, right? Like it's, it's me trying to be connected to who I understand to be God. And I, I try and get up early, especially when my son's with me, so I can have time for that before the day begins. I try and get a little exercise, even if it's a long walk. That's a, that's a big piece for me. And I, I try to make uh, a human, a real human connection every day, which does not mean like going to the convenience store and bu- convenience store and buying something and saying hi to the person behind it. It's a real human connection, like a vulnerable moment to someone every day. Like whether it's a text or a call or. Yeah. So like, I think we all in an isolated pandemic world, we all need at least one connective moment. I, I try to do five, whether it's the same person every day or not. Like when I wake up, take like literally it takes 30 seconds to send a, Hey, you know, good morning. How are you doing? It's it strike up a conversation and they may tell you how their day was or how they're, they may not be doing well. And they may be grateful for you to reach out to them. And totally. And there's like Gary V there's the, the dollar 80, um, his, I like his theory on the dollar 80 thing. Well, you can put your two cents worth in on 90 different things a day. And it takes like not, less than 10 minutes. You know what I mean? Like. That's true. Yeah. It's totally true. Well, I do appreciate you coming on the show today and sharing your story and having an amazing conversation. Again, guys, it's David Giffen. You can go find his book or you can go find him over on Instagram and uh, yep. just look up David Giffen, G-I-F-E-N, and you'll come across his page and you can click the link in his bio and buy his book if you'd like. Be ni- it'd be nice. It'd be nice. I'll, I'll be, uh, I'll be sharing this and uh, pointing people your way because this is some good stuff you're doing, Fritz. I mean, and I'm, I'm honored to have been asked to be on. Thank you so much, man. I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. You too. Take care.